Thanks for downloading the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcast. The conference took place in University College Dublin on the 2nd and 3rd of September 2011 and saw over 50 speakers from Ireland and beyond come together to share their ideas in an interdisciplinary forum. In association with HistoryHub.ie, the majority of the papers are available for podcasting via the HistoryHub.ie website and on iTunes. In this episode, a recording of a paper by David Heffernan, a PhD student at University College Cork. His thesis is entitled Tudor Reform Treatises and 16th century Ireland. This deals with a large body of documents composed by government administrators, clerics, members of the military executive, would-be colonists and private citizens and the best means to ameliorate Tudor Ireland's perceived political, social and cultural problems. His paper is entitled The Campaign for the Reduction of Leinster in Post-Kildare Rebellion Ireland. On the 26th of June 1536, the Lord Deputy of Ireland, Leonard Gray, and his council including John Allen, William Brabazon, Thomas Luttrell and Patrick Finglas, addressed a letter to King Henry VIII from Dublin, stating their opinion on what direction Irish policy should take. The government of the Lordship had been transformed in the preceding two years, where previously that polity had been dominated by a two-tier vassal suzerain power system whereby the Geraldine Earls of Kildare acted as a bridge between Crown Government and Gaelic Ireland. The destruction of the House of Kildare, following an ill-judged decision to revolt in 1534, had created a power vacuum in Ireland, particularly so in Leinster. The question of how best to fill this vacuum was what concerned Grey and his co-authors in their letter of 26 June 1536. The Lord Deputy and Council were were emphatic in their support for a new departure, declaring that such opportunity, means and ways for conquesting, subduing and reforming of your whole dominion have been made made available as the like had not been seen these hundred years past. Citing the necessity of establishing crown control over a continuous stretch of land from the Pale into Munster, as justification, the council stated it was necessary to conquest MacMorhu, O'Morhu, O'Byrne, O'Toole and their kinsmen, which inhabit between Dublin and Wexford, inhabiting the same with Englishmen. Thus did Grey and the council members perceive the Irish scene in the summer of 1536. This, rep- this proposal to reform, conquer or reduce South Leinster as it was referred to at the time, particularly the O'Toole, O'Byrne and MacMurray Cavanagh lordships, was not a particularly novel suggestion in 1536. That year, along with those directly proceeding from and preceding it, saw repeated calls for the, con- for the conquest of large swathes of Leinster. As will be seen, this lobby involved almost every senior government official in post-Kildare Rebellion Ireland. It is curious, then, that this particular initiative has garnered so little attention in previous studies of the period. Stephen Ellis has been markedly silent on this subject in his extensive work (laughs) in the 1530s, for instance, by acknowledging that old and new English alike were united in the Henrikian period in trying to commit the crown to conquest, but failing to provide anything but the briefest of overviews of how this lobby proceeded. (laughs) Brendan Bradshaw 
while recognising that there is a significant campaign advocating a conquest of Leinster, has failed to interpret satisfactorily the motives of those who favoured the initiative. A propensity for categorising the proposals of those old English writers whose tracks are extant as inclusive of the Gaelic polity led, led Bradshaw to downplay the severity of their proposals. This propensity has led Bradshaw to largely ignore the fact that old English writers such as Patrick Finglas and Thomas Lutchell sought a policy of conquest in Leinster. Conversely, Bradshaw has exaggerated the supposed radicalism of certain new English administrators, particularly William Brabazon, whose writings Bradshaw appears to have interpreted more in the light of the under-treasurer's subsequent role in precipitating the Midlands plantation than in their uniqueness next to the old English treatises. Moreover, where this campaign for a more aggressive stance in the regions bordering the Pale has been acknowledged, it is identified as being a defensive strategy. Bradshaw's interpretation has influenced most subsequent studies of these occurrences. Kieran Brady, for example, has followed him in suggesting that those who advocated militarism in the areas adjoining the Pale were, prop- were proponents of a defensive strategy. Vincent Carey has posited that the aggressive approach was favoured by just a minority of government officials. Indeed, as a rule, the campaign for the conquest of Leinster has generally been overlooked in studies of late Henrikian Ireland in favour of concentrating on the programme known to posterity as Surrender and Regrant. The significant exceptions to this rule are the work of Dean Gunter White and Christopher McGinn. White in his unpublished work, extensively detailed the lobby which called for an aggressive stance in Leinster, while McGinn has shown how this campaign affected the lordships of the O'Burns and the O'Toole's. However, the full scale of the lobby remains to be fully explored. What is unusual about this tendency amongst historians to overlook the campaign for the reduction of Leinster is that the idea of launching a conquest of Ireland was hardly a novel approach. Uh, Sorry, writing in 1522, during his expedition to Ireland as Lord Lieutenant, concluded that this land shall never be brought to good order and due subjection, but only by conquest. The perception of widespread support for a forward policy in Leinster is reinforced through a perusal of the extant position papers from the pre-1534 period. The 1515 state is largely a manifesto for encouraging a remilitarisation of the colony, while Patrick Finglas, in his breviate, remarked of the O'Burns, O'Toole's and MacMorrows that they were not in this hundred years more feeble to be conquered. Thus, there were considerable precedents for the campaign to convince Henry to to adopt an aggressive stance in Leinster. However, this lobby was reinvigorated in the aftermath of the Kildare Rebellion. The destruction of the paradigm on which the lordship had been governed for several decades, the two-tier suzerain vassal system headed by the Geraldines, necessitated the development of a new modus operandi for governing the lordship. Many government officials believed that the way forward was consolidation of the pale by conquering South Leinster 
and from 1535 they began pressing their case to Henry and his secretary. It may well have been Henry's secretary, Cromwell, who instigated this policy debate, as a memo of his from 1535 questioned whether a conquest of Ireland should be undertaken. The resultant campaign to fully convince King and Minister that the reduction of Leinster was not just feasible but desirable was to last until 1537 when Henry balked at the cost of such measures. Indeed, the first salvo appears to have been fired as early as 1534, when Thomas Finglas presented a report while at court which suggested that the O'Burns, O'Moores and McMorris be reformed. Exactly what was meant by this is unspecified, and such was the loose usage of the phrase in Tudor political discourse on Ireland that the extremes of either wholesale conquest or a mundane desire to introduce the common law could have been meant. However, Finglas did go on to suggest that prior to this reformation, Henry should take out and reserve to your grace and your heirs land, forest and revenues, such as such as shall be thought most best, pleasant and profitable for you. Furthermore, Finglas appears to have also brought a copy of his father Patrick's discourse, a breviate of the getting of Ireland and of the decay of the same, with him to England. This tracks concentration on the conquest and colonisation of Leinster would have reinforced Thomas's advocacy of confiscation in that province. It is somewhat curious, then, that Bradshaw should make a distinction between Patrick Finglas, whom he claims was a moderate, and officials like William Brabazon, whom he contends represented a minority of extremists. For the under-treasurer's views were in fact almost identical to Finglas's. In a series of memos which Brabazon, <coughs> which Brabazon prepared for Cromwell in 1535, he clearly articulated his belief that the O'Burns, O'Tools and Cavanaghs should be banished from Leinster. Finglas's thoughts on the reformation of Leinster, concerned as they are with the overthrow of the same sects, are almost indistinguishable from Brabazon's views. Therefore, it seems incongruous to make a distinction between one or two alleged hardliners who favoured the conquest of Leinster and a majority of moderates, as Bradshaw has. Indeed, the new English official who expressed his opposition to the Gaelic-Irish most vociferously was John Allen, who has consistently been identified as a moderate. His views, as expressed in a letter to the king in 1536, do not accord with this perception. Here he claims that if those parts of Leinster were conquest, reformed or subdued to your due obedience, wherein MacMorrow the burns and tools now inhabit, then it would keep this land in a state. Alan's own aversion towards the Irish was clearly much more acute than previously appreciated, boldly stating his preference for banishing all the Irish if it would not be so difficult to inhabit the land again afterwards. Thus, it should be apparent that many of the appraisals made of the individuals who lobbied for the conquest of Leinster of whom Finglas, Brabazon and Allen are just the most conspicuous, are inaccurate. The debate over whether or not encroachments should be made into South Leinster appears to have become most intense 
around the time of Alan's writing, in the summer of 1536. To this period date a number of documents by the Cowleys, Roberts and Walter. One of these, a tract addressed to Cromwell by the father, Robert, is certainly the most belligerent document composed to lobby Henry and his secretary. Indeed, it goes much further, for having outlined plans to fortify that province, for instance by walling Arklow, Cowley went on to sketch a means to advance into the other provinces. In Ulster, Carrickfergus and Carlingford were to be re-edified, while a walled town was to be constructed at Armagh. Similar provisions were outlined for Munster and Connacht. However, Cowley's ideas were extreme not just in the breadth of the conquest imagined, but also in the methods to be employed, which included devastation of the countryside to induce famine conditions. Cowley's extreme solution was not advocated by others who were lobbying the king at this time, though a number of his other suggestions do appear to have found their way into the most extensive proposal for pacifying Leinster. A memorial or a note for the winning of Leinster was a memo drawn up collectively by Grey and his council to convince Henry of the appeal of colonising South Leinster. The document was dispatched to England on the 10th of February 1537 with a covering letter from the council, which stated that they had drawn up the project, the project to convince the king of the necessity of reducing Leinster. The signatories to this covering letter included Gray, Ossery, James Butler, Brabazon, Luttrell, Patrick Finglas, Oilmer and Allen. The scheme outlined was extensive. The O'Byrne, O'Toole and McMurray Cavanagh lordships were to be emptied of inhabitants in the initial phase. It was then envisaged that some 12,000 settlers would be brought in. In a feature reminiscent of Cowley's project, a series of walled towns and castles were to be occupied, specifically Wicklow, Arklow, Ferns, Inniscarty, Ross, Lydland and Carlow. Estates were then to be granted to the younger sons of English gentry families with title, for instance, one was to be made Lord of Wicklow. To preside over this new nobility, it was envisaged that the earldom of Carlow would be created. To cement the conquest, it was believed 1,600 men would be necessary, of which 600 were to be under the newly created earl, with the remainder commanded by the deputy. The sheer scale of this enterprise was equalled by just one other initiative, a project which was sent to Cromwell in the summer of 1537 with three Wexford, land, Wexford landholders, Walter Brown, John Devereux and Alexander Keating. The trio were roundly critical of the settlement, <coughs> which had placed William St. Lowe as Senesel with just 46 men in Wexford to hold the county. As they thought, a force of five to 6,000 soldier settlers inhabiting between Dublin and Wexford would be necessary. However, being conscious of the parsimony of the king and the magnitude of the scheme proposed, they recommended that the plantation be leased out to them, who in return would pay a fixed rent to Henry. Ironically, both the memorial and the Wexford scheme, the two most ambitious proposals concerning the disposal of lands in the province, were composed in 1537, 
when efforts to convince Henry of the desirability of conquering Leinster were coming to an end. What had started in 1535 as a general debate on what policy should be adopted for settling those lands immediately adjoining the Pale snowballed in 1536 into the dominant issue of correspondence between Dublin Castle and Whitehall. On the 2nd of January of that year, the butlers signalled their support for subjugating South Leinster in a letter which was signed by Ossery and his son James Butler. The urgings of Grey and the council members subsequently reached a crescendo in the latter half of 1536 and early 1537. As seen, they sent a clear statement of their collective thinking on the necessity of subduing South Leinster to Henry on the 26th of June. In tandem, Grey and Brabazon made a foray into those regions earmarked for subjugation throughout the summer in an act which was conceivably intended to demonstrate the feasibility of their aims. This was, sub- <clears throat> this was supplemented by additional letters on the 29th of October to Henry and the 23rd of November to Cromwell, the latter giving the most unambiguous statement of their, posi- of their position yet. The council noting there was no initiative as, as worthy as the reforming of Leinster. Their final and most comprehensive statement came on 10th February 1537 in the shape of the memorial. If this last act was intended as such a definitive statement of their ideas on the conquest of Leinster, that it would finally meet with the King's acceptance, those who favoured an aggressive stance in Leinster for so long were to be thoroughly surprised by Henry's response. The Government of Ireland far from being geared towards the reduction of Leinster, was to be run with financial retrenchment as its guiding principle. In a scathing letter which pointed towards blatant corruption and fiscal profligacy within the Irish setup, Henry made it clear that costs were to be reduced. In keeping with this newfound parsimony, the size of the garrison was to be reduced, not augmented as the council's policy of conquest would have necessitated. Some calls to subjugate parts of Leinster were still to be heard in the weeks and months that followed, um, for example by Robert Cowley and Thomas Luttrell. However, Henry's letter and Cromwell's determined efforts to reduce expenditure put paid to any hopes of a full conquest in 1537. Thus ended the most intense phase of the campaign for the reduction of Leinster. This campaign was significant not just in itself, for in the years which followed, its influence was to be seen in Brabazon's invasion of the Midlands and the general policy of conquest there, which resulted in the plantation of Leash and Offaly. While as late as 1558, <coughs> Thomas Allen, brother to John, reworked the memorial which the council had drawn up in 1537 and presented it to Sussex as a legitimate policy in this initiative. Thus, the campaign for the reduction of Leinster ought to be given greater acknowledgement in the historiography of late Henrikian Ireland. We hope you enjoyed this HistoryHub.ie podcast. You can find many more podcasts by visiting the HistoryHub.ie website.